0: You are listening to the Casting Shadows Podcast. And Because you are listening to the Casting Shadows Podcast, I know that you know how to find it. But if you're looking for me somewhere else, you can find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash runeslinger, or just on YouTube you can search for at runeslinger, and it'll find me. Or, if you prefer to read, you can check out the blog, where it's all started, at castingshadowsblog.com. And... If you like role-playing games as much as we like role-playing games around here, then I hope you'll be willing to check out RPG A Day. You can find it on Facebook at facebook.com slash RPG A Day. You can find everything you ever needed to know about it at the Autocratic blog. That's Autocratic with a K. Autocratic.com. Of course, you can find it at my blog, too. RPG A Day starts in August, runs the entirety of August, and has a simple prompt every day that inspires participants to spread positivity about role-playing games, to go out and read other people's posts about role-playing games, and share them. And that's it, turning August into a celebration of the hobby that we love. But we have a long episode for you today, so let's not engage in any further ado let's just get down to this fun conversation-slash-interview that I have with my good friend. So who is my friend, you're thinking? Well, we get into that in the actual segment. But what I'd like you to do is consider going to YouTube and searching for the Umbra Mansur channel. It's all one word, Umbra Mansur. And there you'll find A series of videos that is just now being created about our topic and where our topic today takes us. In addition, you'll also find some how-tos for some pretty cool games and some other stuff as well. The channel, I'm sure, is going to develop swimmingly. But let's, as I said before, get into it. If we take the topic at face value, this is going to be a real barn burner of an episode. And the idea is to help minimize the impact of some of the interference we get when we play certain games certain ways. And when the culture surrounding a game and the culture of play that we have at our table and our conceptions and misconceptions about how things work, and what we're supposed to be doing, and what all these terms mean, and all that stuff gets mixed up. And somehow, play just doesn't go quite right. And the advice we get, the GM advice and the player advice we get, basically means that we have to ignore, or invent, or twist, or just discard whole game systems. So... Does that pique your interest? Then join me to sit down and talk and explore and share with my friend as we talk about the almost hidden conflict on the spectrum of how we play games, both old school and new, and maybe how we can tame it. Contrary to tradition or expectation, I have another guest, two guests in the same month. Of course, we're still separated by time and space, vast gulfs, because as always, I'm broadcasting from the future. But the voice that you're going to hear is attached to a familiar face, for those of you who follow the Runeslinger channel. And my guest, Eloy Cintron, has been with me and Ivan and Francois and our other friends Jose for a while playing a whole bunch of different games and talking a whole bunch of theory. We have our own private little group away on the internet where we talk dark secrets and arcane lore and it's a lot of fun and he's become a good friend over the years. So I invited him on today to talk about Kind of what we've been talking about, but in a very specific and useful and practical application for those who play games where there may be a hint of violence. But you don't need me to tell you about it when he is here. So welcome to the Casting Shadows podcast, Aloy.
1: Thank you. Great to be here. Always happy to talk to you.
0: Awesome. So tell me about... Dungeon Crawl mode and story mode.
1: Right. So uh, for years, I've I've felt difficulties engaging with different iterations of games, specifically uh, Dungeons and Dragons for a, a, a large majority of the time, in which I found rules that would Fight against what I wanted to do, but there was the impulse to do something. And some systems seem to work better for that, and some seem to work against them. And um, over time, having played all iterations of it, basically, of D&D at least, I began to look at it through what I call lenses, right? There's multiple lenses through which you can evaluate any. Role playing game, um, and in particular, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, like some of those lenses might be uh, complexity, like levels of abstraction, where you would have a very abstract uh, game on one end and a very granular, very detailed game. And so you sort of zoom in or zoom out, Mm. and game design will vary depending on how drilled in to that level of granularity they want to be so for example if you're playing something like old school dungeons and dragons uh everybody gets one swing and it's one action to resolve everything and if you right. play something like mithras every single blow is detailed and mm-hmm. efforts to parry are tracked hit locations are tracked damage is inflicted to a specific limb with specific consequences attached to that. So I would contrast that with old school D&D where it's one hit and it goes of a pool of hit points, which are an abstract measure of damage or luck or parrying. Um, right. And so that's one lens through which to view a game. And my latest focus has been on, on looking at uh, games and particularly uh, D through this lens of dungeon crawl mode versus story mode now those aren't the greatest of names for what i'm trying to convey uh, they may not sound very technical or I know, I like polished, but i think they're practical enough to sort of convey my meaning without going too deep into it and so right. Once you start seeing the game as having these two opposing forces, right? These two poles along a spectrum where one is, you could say, pure dungeon crawl, right? It's a style of play where you would, uh, it's a highly, it's it's a location-based experience with a simulation of a gameplay that tends to be, Very lethal, which leads to high turnover of characters, which in turn means that people tend not to get too invested into these characters because they could be gone in a in a moment, and all of this is wrapped up in a mechanical system, which works together like clockwork. So you have different concepts like encumbrance, uh, wandering monsters movement speeds um, a dungeon map with multiple rooms and where you're tracking inventory of a sort particularly in the form of encumbrance uh, you're looking for treasure how much can you carry out can you uh, how much do you push your luck to go in to the dungeon right. while still leaving sufficient resources in terms of hit points in terms of weight carried to get yourself out of the dungeon. And so it's, if you take that to an extreme, it becomes almost a board game, right? You could be playing dungeon, the board game. You could be playing hero quest. You could be playing things like talisman, which I believe is the board game that deals in similar subject matter. Uh, There's no role play. There's no story, quote unquote, story. If
0: if you take it to that extreme.
1: If it goes to extreme, which I think it's the absurd, right? Nobody goes there. Uh, It just exists um, as an idea, I suppose. And then if you look at it as a spectrum, well, you say, well, nobody plays that as a board game, right? You might as well play the board game at that point. What you really want is to add story elements to it. Right There's a context. Why are you going into this dungeon? Well, to get a crown, a missing crown from a kingdom or something, or to rescue somebody who's been kidnapped and is being held inside the dungeon. Or, you know, why is the dungeon there? Well, there's an explanation for it. There's a story behind how this thing came to be. you want your characters to be somebody. It's not just random player number one, random fighter number six, uh, which when he dies will be followed by random fighter number seven. And uh, you want a name. You want a context. Where does he come from? What's the culture? If only to provide a role-playing cue right is this guy a viking is this guy a former medieval uh uh foot soldier is this guy some, some swashbuckler? for
0: character yeah
1: some grounding of this element with which to um help you portray this character give give context and depth to the world and you want to talk to the other player, beyond just saying, "I move five squares," I listen at the door. I kick it in. I roll initiative, which is almost going again to the absurd end of you're playing a board game now. right
0: Although you and can't switch, you can't have the in-character dialogue followed by "I."
1: Exactly, I, I mean, there's many it, paces, it's, or I, it's yeah. there's an enjoyment to be had from having all the elements. There is an enjoyment to the tactical planning. To the inventory keeping, to the, uh, you know, to the enjoying the roll of the dice, right? I roll a 20, everybody celebrates. Mm-hmm. I roll a one. Oh my God, you mm-hmm. are so dead. So th- there is an enjoyment to that layer of play, uh, just as much as there is an enjoyment to the layer where you're inhabiting the character, trying to make decisions. Um, uh, the more context you are, the deeper those decisions become, you know, suppose you're in this dungeon and you've been told that there is a magical sword beneath a fountain. Right. Well, maybe when you come to that map intersection and you hear falling water down the left-hand corridor, your character will be, wait a minute, uh, there's a magic sword next to a fountain. This could be it. Let's go left. Right. And even that small level of context and story, uh, in my opinion, enhances the game. And so uh, there's a desire to at least inject some of that story. Right. But as I mentioned originally, it's a, I see it as a spectrum. Right. Sure. So if you keep adding story elements and context, there is an impulse or a desire, at least for me, uh, and I think there is solid evidence to be found within the rule set of original D&D, at least as far as first edition D&D goes, uh, or first edition AD&D, I should say, no. uh, where there seems to be a drive to take this on a more contextual story direction, which I would call story mode. And so... At the very far end of the spectrum, right, you're wanting to portray uh, or, or to experience a game where it's almost uh, like leading, uh, like reading a fantasy novel or watching a movie of some sort, like Lord of the Rings. They go on a quest, right? There's no inventory in Lord of the Rings. There's no wandering monsters. Or you, you could argue there are, but, you know, uh, there are elements from that dungeon crawl rule set. That will interfere with your story experience if you are looking toward the opposite end of the pole, right? The opposite extreme, which is I want a story. I want my character to be the protagonist of this uh, experience where there is a, you know, I'm doing something in the world, but also. It, whatever's going on is linked to my character personally, right? I have a rival and we have some sort of personal history together where this is now going to clash uh, with, you know, there's two stories going on, right? Where there's, we've got this world quest to do the thing, but we also have this personal relationship with this villain or bad guy, right? Where I have this tension to resolve. Sure. And so, lethality works against that if you're using the dungeon crawl rule set and the character dies on a whim right just a bad die roll that story could grind to a halt and so it
0: would would be interpreted as a whim in story mode whereas it'd be interpreted as normal in dungeon crawl mode
1: if you view the desired product as a story in terms of something like a fantasy novel or a movie you can't have the protagonist die in the first two minutes so uh, authority...
0: might, you might want to in some way
1: <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh but presuming you like the protagonist uh, uh <laughs> it, it interferes with the final product right with the story mode and so the process begins to alter this like an example of why i say that there's this desire within the game to be story mode is you have rules like, you know, admonitions in orig- in uh, first edition d d to fudge dice, right? Roll behind the screen. Uh, there's the practice of adjusting monster hit points on the fly. It's like, no, no, the monster is too powerful. I got to tone this down. And so you deduct it originally had 50 points, now it has 40, because you know it's 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 maybe a little too deadly from what I expected. You fudge dice, it, it just critted the 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 player character and obliterated it. But wait, he's the hero of the story. Let me just say that he just inflicts two points of damage, right? And we'll give him an extra round. And so you immediately see the conflict between the original rule set and what you're trying to achieve. Um and once you're cued into that you start understanding why dice fudging is advocated why uh you want less lethality uh and, and and the fact that you can view it through that means that you can designed you can design towards it right. even if design means homebrew rules or whatever the case may be and uh, right. challenge you know, ratings it, and correct and 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 things like you there you see the roots of things like death saves well you know he I, I can't have the character die immediately i have to give him three chances to die so, so maybe somebody can step <laughs> in and save the character right and so you can even see some elements of uh, fifth edition dnd or one dnd the modern dnds trying to design in that direction Right and right. and culture of play seems to have evolved over the years to match that, and you get things like critical role. And so, if you look at this story mode poll, uh, we would say that in old school DD, that would be the Dragonlance modules for first edition, right? Where there's right. a set of characters and they're expected to survive throughout 14 different modules until and yeah. and, and not only survive but Improve until they get to this 14th module where everything is going to shake out, right? This final confrontation. And that's the ultimate story because what do you do to get there? You cheat, you fudge dice, (laughs) you do whatever it takes. You just need to get the same guys from the first chapter to the last chapter. And if you go to the extreme, absurd story mode end, then you get the apocryphal. Uh, story of the gm who has a novel in his head and he just invites you to his house (laughs) to have you provide dialogue essentially because everything is predetermined authentic dialogue. yes everything is you know no matter what happens your character will survive uh the monster will die when the gm has decided the monster will die uh uh, i I don't even believe that that's a real thing or at least i hope it's not but (laughs) uh again nobody wants to play in that extreme and so well i don't
0: i mean in both of these polls that we're talking about the the dungeon crawl versus the story mode the game master has certain skills that they need so because they've chosen to use the dungeons and dragons rule set in this example and because the group has indicated one way or another, that they're going toward the story pole, such as by somebody buying Dragonlance and say, "Hey, let's let's play this," or some other long campaign like you know the slave lords or or what have you, something that has multiple parts, and people obviously want to play through all the parts. Right. right. So you have those pressures. Then you need to develop some kind of skill of managing the system to allow those expectations to be met or it isn't fun
1: correct because the system will fight you if it's not designed toward the whole that you want right if it's not designed toward story mode it's not going to help you it's actually actively going to resist you or fight you
0: right because it was designed uh, for another purpose yeah
1: correct uh, and so this is the point where you have to think, well, you know, am I using the right system? Uh, yeah. And your choices become, do I alter the system or do I look for alternate systems? Right. Uh, and so it's, the lens is still helpf- helpful because if you want to house rule it to the point where it becomes more story mode, you can do that because now you understand what the end goal is. And so you have to start looking at your homebrew rules through the lens of, does this help story mode? Does it help? Right. Right. Or you can look at other games and you can look and say, well, maybe fifth edition is better suited to story mode because it's harder to die. And it, you know, it, 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 it has different balancing, uh, equations in terms of monster encounters and the whole philosophy of design is different and right. you look at things like um you know the mega dungeon is a staple of the dungeon crawl mode i would say
0: right but
1: does it help in a story mode uh, <laughs> i would say it's the opposite and that's where you start seeing micro dungeons or what is it john Fours. The five, it's room a five room dungeon, design. right? Yes, f- yeah. just five rooms, right? You could do it in, in as many as five rooms because you're trying, you know, wandering monsters don't matter; they don't contribute to the story. Uh, you don't want to spend weeks within this labyrinth because it is not advancing the story, uh, and so perhaps you look to smaller dungeons. And there, are, it's a spectrum, so you can slide the scale you know from 200 300 rooms in a mega dungeon to a three room micro dungeon right you 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 can slide the scale uh, to your taste um uh, again if you're viewing it through this lens right. um, and you can consider other you know more uh story focused games which concern themselves less with um, the granularity of inventories and resource managements and, and stuff Porches. like that, yeah. correct, but more focused toward delivering a, sto- a story product, right? Yeah.
0: And part and, of the proof of of the pudding that you're preparing here is that you can have the opposite problem when you try playing those games, is people can exactly. feel like the... You know the 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 punches are being pulled and it doesn't feel dangerous or or whatever they they have the expectation of the dungeon crawl or some memory of it and they're thinking well it's too hard like what is the risk or whatever and so we end up fiddling with the system to provide more bite or or what have you
1: correct so you know you feel you can feel a little bit empty or a little bit deprived of something. Like if you go to one of these story games where combat is highly, highly uh, abstracted, and maybe maybe combat is something where you like detail, right? And so if it's highly abstracted, then it it doesn't provide what you want. Uh, I would argue that that's looking at it through two lenses at once. So you're looking at it through story mode versus dungeon crawl, but you're also looking at stuff like granularity versus abstraction. Right. Uh, uh, but all of this is part of the evaluation of, you know, you b- buy a new game and you read it and you go, well, my players like this? Well, we have to sort of talk about what- yeah, We
0: have to talk about it.
1: The experience yeah. that we want to have at the table.
0: So last, last week, you got hit once again, by the mothership bug. Yes. <laughs> this, I think, is a good example of, of exactly this, right? Yes. Um, could you yes. walk us through what happened from your inception of, well, what about mothership to actually, on Thursday this week, playing it?
1: Right. So it was a, you know, I don't even remember what I was talking, uh, 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 what I was talking about with Jose. And then he started talking, mentioning about mothership. And uh, I figured, well, we already tried Alien before. And Alien is, um, it's pretty granular. um,
0: In places, yeah. In
1: in places, right? It it drills down into into certain areas. um, But it's also built around this intellectual property, which although, you know, having played it with you, uh, I was enlightened to, you know, th- there's more than two monsters in the monster section of the book, <laughs> right? Which was my original heavy concern. But, um, you know, I, I I did encounter Mothership in the past when it was, it's still available as a free, uh, I think they call it an alpha version uh, that is available. But right now it's in Kickstarter. The campaign has ended, but the process of development is ongoing, and I participated on the Kickstarter, so I do have access to the work-in-progress materials. And what has happened is that the game is substantially streamlined from the original um, published alpha test. So if you've played Mothership Alpha Test, this is different, right? This is more streamlined. This is easy to read and easy to pick up and so uh uh it's it's actually reminiscent of the lightness of some rules in uh, basic dungeons and dragons for example it's a very simple system so
0: closer Um, to bx that kind of experience i would
1: definitely call it closer to bx the original version of mothership was a bit hard to read because they tried to do so many things at once that it was a bit, it, the original version had things like hit locations. You know, do they hit your arm? Did they hit your leg? Uh, and so it had a level of granularity, right? That is not exactly what you would expect from a, a, a supposedly old school inspired thing. Um, but the new iterations, uh, bring it closer. Uh, to To be X in the sense that you can actually have the the game master in this case called the game warden uh, just know all the rules and the players know nothing right and you can explain it in moments it's a very simple system it's uh, adapted from percentile games so something like. Uh, uh, chaos, uh, basic role play, right? So it's, it's roll under your percentile to do X things. It's only that it's very condensed. You have like three stats and you have like two saves or three saves and four stats and skills are presented with, do you have the skill? Yes. Well, you can add 10, uh, to, to your skill, right. Or are you a master of the skill because you've studied beyond certain points? Well, you add 20. Right. And so it's a very simple thing. Um, combat is likewise, very simple, few die rolls, everything is resolved. But the beauty of it is that the, the company that produces the game also produces uh, a couple of supplements to it. And one of the supplements that produced is, uh, uh, what I would call a module, um, uh, right. named gradient descent, right. an adventure, and it is essentially a mega dungeon in space, right? It's the concept of a mega dungeon translated into horror science fiction. And it's very well done. And because it's the same company, the Kickstarter is updating, uh, the rule set and the modules at the same time. So everything is, is, and they've even provided like conversion guidelines, if you bought third party materials you can just do the conversion yourself and so being a light game and being experienced with mega dungeons it was just a matter of we'll read the rules uh mm-hmm. i got my players to read the rules cuz they're very short and it's like please read the rules help me out with the mechanical aspects while i read this dungeon and figure out how we're going to approach it and because it is what i would consider to be dungeon crawl mode There's very little prep on my part. It's why are they going in there? And that's about it. So what I did is I handed them a copy of the map, which a lot of people in the mothership community would say it's a big no, no, but I would argue having played mega dungeons for years and years and years, I would say that handing them the map is actually the secret sauce that, that makes this completely different. It's, the sci-fi setting is especially well suited to handing somebody the schematics for a space station and saying, here you go. There's 60 rooms in here. Uh, well, there's more than 60 rooms. There's like a hundred and something, I don't know. Uh, and what I did is I rolled up a random item and a random location, and I did it three times. And I said, Well, your employer wants you to go in there and Pick at least one of these to go after, right? If you can get all three, that's awesome. And if you can get just one, that's great too. Or just go in and, and and you know, wander around and see what you can find. And this adds the layer, the, the novel experience of, well, not only are we going in, we're planning a route. We're going in this room and we're moving through it and we're coming out on this end. And so that To me that fundamentally changed the experience right
0: now that's a question about the spectrum most of this is in the hands of the players how much of the character layer how much of kind of a shared genre layer did they choose to bring in like was it a bunch of players talking about moving their awareness through zones of play or were they preparing for a, a bunch of guys to, you know, to go in and, and get. Rich? Well, that's,
1: that's the beauty of the players. Right. And so our, our group of players, cause this is our group, you're of course, invited to join in any time you, you have uh, available, but everybody, it's the rolled up characters in seconds, cause there's an app that you can download to the phone and you just click it. And in microseconds, it pops out a character. And so, you know, you don't like it, you just click it again and just, you know, you can go through 60 <laughs> characters in a minute and, and just, you know, find one that you like and play that one. But what can they do. you adjust do, the
0: character once yes. it's been generated?
1: Yes. Any aspect of it you don't like, you can edit and, and obtain. And there's a way to get a PDF copy of it. I don't know how the guys did it, but they figured out how to extract cool. the PDF. Uh, cause I, again, I was focused on, on, on preparation of, of the, of the game itself, but, uh, but of course this is where the, the story mode component comes in is they're bringing it, but right. also the dungeon is bringing it as well. Right. So this is the type of situation where you see backstories come in and then you, you have to decide, well, you know, how much of a backstory do you need? in a dungeon crawl mode game you're expected to die pretty quickly and so the answer is a very short one right you know it's a former <laughs> marine okay former That's marine enough. is great you know former teamster <laughs> former teamster is, is enough right we can develop the personality as we go along but they have the context right for the a little bit of role play um but further the game uh the the, the, the module is beautifully designed and the layout is perfection as far as uh, a mega dungeons goes because information is delivered in bullet points it is very easy to read and understand and it is sparse text which is evocative enough to allow you to expand on what's going on in your mind and so starting with a map that incorporates things like scale, so you know how big the room is just from from looking at the icon on the map. Uh, right. Reprinting of sections of the map in the book, where the key to those rooms is located, so you can read and look and see routes, uh, route information connecting the rooms, telling you whether this is a con- uh, a ventilation conduit, it's an elevator, it's an airlock. Uh, right. Each room describes things like lighting and zero gravity or artificial gravity. And so immediately uh, you have a sense. And uh, looking at it from the lens of complexity and granularity, I think it it's light enough in, in complexity. It's abstract enough where I don't have to focus too hard on the rules. And that frees up my mental bandwidth to imagine and describe the location as we go into it. And so uh, Jose made a funny comment th- the other day following play, which, is, was, uh, which was like, we don't even need fear mechanics in this game. The guys were scared out of their, their minds. Uh, uh, Ivan and, and Jim just scared themselves, right? They were fr- almost frozen with fear when one of the, the station's AI started talking to them. And so uh, you know, it's uh it's an interesting product, but also speaks of the immersion that they were able to to obtain during the session. So yeah. Which is cool. Yeah.
0: Now by by way of comparison, a little while ago, not recently, but fairly recently, you like to go in a different direction. You ran Blades in the Dark for the first time.
1: Correct. Correct.
0: With some people in common, but a different
1: group. Right. Well, Blades in the Dark is a, it's a, it's a, I I would skew it very heavily into the story mode. Uh, It's well designed, but because it relies so heavily on story elements, context of particular situations, player character backstory, This is not the game where you show up with a former Marine, right? And that's it. You need a name. You need some substance of some amount of backstory to jumpstart this uh, very abstract thing, uh, to, to jumpstart it so that a story can evolve because otherwise... You, I feel a bit lost as a GM. It's like, okay, I got these three characters. What do I do with them? What's the story here? Now the game will help you and say, just have them go on a score, right? And depending nice. on on the crew that they pick, because uh, all of that is mechanized, right? You can be smugglers, you can be assassins, you could be thieves, you could be con artists. There's a there's a, a series of crew types which. Will immediately convey to the game master this is the type of game we want this is the type of situation that we want to be thrust into right. but but the, the the problem or at least a problem that i have with a very heavily focused or, or or games at the very uh, adjacent to the story mode pole is i feel unmoored right where where i have no ground to stand on and, and get the ball rolling. So, uh, things that helped backstories, uh, things that helped a very well designed setting by John Harper. He has right. a very, very deep description of the entire city. There are fan made supplements, uh, readily available, which, um, have taken the have gone through the effort of extracting all the factions that Harper put into the game and localizing them on the different districts, right? So I pick the district and I look at this supplement and I know what the district looks like, uh, what the gangs and factions that are active in there are, and sort of what are the points of interest within this section of the map, because it's a very beautiful a very well-developed map that Harper gives you. It's just, just a lot of information. Right. And so, uh, so for example, this supplement to me, it, it required a lot of study, right? So I got to read this thing, but uh, at yeah. least it gave me a starting point. Okay, they're in this sector. These two gangs are there and in conflict. And so I can just put some situations in front of them and see which ones they grab on to. And, uh, and so it's very personal, right? If, if, if their characters aren't interested in doing a thing, if their characters aren't interested in pursuing an aspect, for example, I wanted to throw let's bring some supernatural elements into this. Right. But nobody was really focused on the supernatural. It was like, well, you know, it's an element I can throw, but they don't seem to be too interested in interacting with this directly. They are right. workarounds. They would fight ghosts and and shoot special bullets at the ghosts, and so it was a more of a weird science, uh, steampunk science approach to the supernatural, as opposed to a more straightforward, you know, sorcery type I- interaction. So the the players are already delineating the the type of thing that they want to go, and it's also yeah because it's very story mode and because it's supposed to be very personal um i find it also to be very player driven so right
0: i wanted to ask you about that because from a certain perspective you have the mega dungeon map from mothership for the for the space station mm -hmm. which you present to them and then they decide how they want to interact with it correct and that can sound exactly like I present them with a score and they decide how they want to interact with it. It can sound like exactly the same experience.
1: Correct. Correct.
0: But it may not be.
1: Right. Right. And I suppose that's another lens through which you can look at this, right? Uh, I would say on one end you have GM-driven play, and on the other end you have player-driven play, right? So if the GM is driving, the players are reacting. Yeah. And if the players are driving, the GM is reacting. And so that's another good uh, uh, way to look at many of these games. And again, everything is a spectrum, right? right? So, you know, you can have this game where it's like, this is the mega dungeon. This is what we're here to do. Don't <laughs> get on a ship and leave. Right. No, you do- All we're going to do is interact with this map here. So we may leave in the future, but not right now, right now, all there is is the mega dungeon, right? And that's fine. And and that's the GM driving, with enough room for the players to provide a route, to change plans mid uh, mission, right? Just like okay, this is too hard to get to objective number one. Let's forget about it. Let's go to objective number three, right? And so there's player agency involved, but it's me basically telling them. Or um, there are things like the Dragonlance modules where it's all gm driven right they have encounters that you're expected to go through right Mm -hmm. so you know at the end of the dungeon you know the the only way to get out of the dungeon is to go through the layer of the dragon so they will have to interact with the dragon that's me driving that's not the players reacting they have no choice but to face the dragon at the end of the thing
0: right it's not the players acting yeah
1: right and so that requires a lot of gm preparation you have to show up with stuff to throw at them
0: right where i get relevant you know just to, 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 through your description and your your whatnot so this brings us to that that the three elements that i think are inescapable in in play of action reaction and interaction
1: yes you know,
0: so the the players to some degree or another need to act and the game masters characters the npcs need to Act and they need to mix with each other and act and react and interact. And hopefully, this is also happening on the player level as well. Like, we can choose for role play or not. We can have lots of action and minimal interaction on the character layer, but lots on the rules layer, right? Right. Or tons okay. on the player layer as we're telling our jokes and, and things. And I find it pretty
1: fascinating. Right, and so they're they're games where I would argue it's all player driven, right? And the GM just reacts. The player says, "I want to go do this," and then you have the GM player are, are, are thinking, "Well, you know, what would make the player quest to do the thing? What would make it interesting or difficult, right?" And so you throw obstacles in in their way to make things interesting for them, right? Uh, things they want
0: to overcome, yeah,
1: exactly. And it's funny because. You know, as I said, that's a spectrum, right? You just show up each week and you have nothing and you're just waiting for them to tell you what to do. And you're improvising obstacles on the run, right? But there's also also like a middle ground where it becomes a dance, right? I bring stuff as a game master to throw at them and see what sticks. And on the other hand, they tell me what they're really interested in doing. Which might be one of the things I just threw at them, but it might be something totally different. And then it becomes my job to uh, make that experience that they want to have interesting and 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 vibrant, right? So it becomes a dance. Sometimes I lead, sometimes they lead, and right. and and that's a very satisfying way to play, I think. Yeah,
0: well, that is that is play. You know, you're really engaging with it as as play, rather than presentation of preparation. Right. Right. Or full-on improvisation at the other end of the spectrum, right? You are somewhere in the middle. You are, you've are, you done your preparation for improvisation. You're ready, right? You're comfortable. You know what to draw on from the material that's relevant, whether that's genre considerations or whether that's uh, uh, familiarity with lists of wandering monsters or monster types associated with the area or legends and lore or rumors or you know whatever you know you're ready to play
1: yeah having tropes of of what's expected of the genre right so you know locations or the type of opposition that they're gonna encounter which will vary you know, if you're playing all for one, you know, it's bridges and, and horses and, uh, you know, the Cardinal's guards showing up or yeah. there's, you know, smuggling of something going on, uh, duels, that type of idea, you prepare it beforehand. So that if you need to improvise, it's like, maybe it's time to have a chase, uh, somebody wants something from them or, you know, some, something to right. that effect. right on as you say it's preparation to improvise Yeah. right
0: yeah and we can better prepare for that by being aware of the kind of drives that exist in the group and being willing to talk about it and the the friction we're going to experience in the chosen rule set you know everyone shows up wanting an in character as character experience wanting lethality and we're playing something which doesn't provide us any of the information to give that the fun that we're looking for then it's going to feel kind of flat regardless of how much we like each other and how well you know we we gel as a group and and how much fun the session was there's going to be some lack of connection to the to the game
1: there's going to be a mismatch of the expectations and what the game can deliver mechanically or what the game is mechanically designed to support so right. you might be working with good infrastructure from the rules and the setting or you might be working on a precipice mm-hmm. without a net right and having no to, to, no. to 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 build everything as as you go right so, so that's,
0: understandably you get tired right yes so the players yes. have a an experience that is solely rooted in their friendship we had a good time Mm -hmm. together and the game master worked really hard and demonstrated a lot of skill. They enjoyed flexing their muscle and everyone seemed to have a good time. So that's great. But at the same time, the lifespan of that game is doomed. Correct. (laughs) And soon we start talking about, Hey, didn't you just get some kind of Kickstarter delivery?
1: (laughs) Right. Right. You know, I'd like to point out that in our case, we we've had a little bit of difficulty with the game master who's running the, the, the other session. He's, he's, hit a bit of a busy season at work and so it's like well we find ourselves without anything to play on a thursday so you know we decided life life doesn't
0: care for your preferences exactly
1: exactly (laughs) so it's like well i could get this ready in 24 hours can you and everybody's like sure can
0: So it is super important to maintain momentum yes yeah and and keep playing but uh, all i was talking about was was just the you play some sessions and it's fine but it could be great <laughs> that it could, could be great <laughs> and,
1: and that requires a conversation on the player level right uh before the game starts that's a that's a an in, very important session zero right what do we expect of this game uh is everybody on board for this type of experience um what do it, we do if it
0: doesn't meet those expectations
1: right right how long do we expect it to go on and the answer is usually it'll depend on you know, how happy everybody is but we will play forever, forever. <laughs> but there are games which are just fine with a handful of sessions and others are just great if they go on forever right so yeah so that you
0: can you can feel done with some games yeah
1: some games are hyper focused right yeah. this is very curated very specific experience that you will have and once you have had it a couple of times it's like you know i think we've explored all permutations of this particular limited experience and so by definition it's like okay i guess we play something different
0: right Right? i mean unless it's unless that experience is your default you know like if it's serving you exactly what you want all the time then yeah sure you'd keep playing but otherwise you're going to save it for introducing it to people who haven't played it
1: right right and that's that's the nature of like like I, like i've uh, there's a game by mcgay baker and i'm gonna forget what it is is it siren it's siren, something yeah. siren uh where you know it's a it's a beautiful game right it's a great idea it's this group of people who are being persecuted for a reason either they're mutants or they have something in particular that the authorities want And so you start with the guys going off and you play through this experience of being haunted and, you know, there's a resolution at the end and that sounds great. And you can reskin it for a couple of, you know, it's superheroes, it's mutants, it's uh, like that cyber generation thing from Cyberpunk where it's a virus and they're infected and they're running and the people are trying to catch them. But after you've played it, five permutations of that are you going to keep playing well no it's a limited experience right you're going to play with one group of people a couple of times and then it really becomes useful for convention play different people uh uh, you know showing the game but it's by nature it's circumscribed to a very focused thing so there's all all types of games right right Mm
0: -hmm. all right so be aware. Is a, I guess, a good segue to our our outroduction. So right. thanks for coming coming along and talking to me today sure. on your day off.
1: Yeah, anytime. <laughs> yeah.
0: So dungeon crawl versus story mode. Versus, right. Uh, I thought a good practical example of being aware of the different elements that we experience in play whether that be rules or the people that we play with or the genre that we're playing under or the world that the game exists in or some combination of them being aware of all that and then making this a decision with the group about what to do about it to get the experience that you're looking for. So until the next time, everybody take care. Now I probably know what you're thinking, that was the end of the episode. And I wrestled with that, wrestled with making a separate episode to deal with what comes next or to try and combine them together. And I've opted, rightly or wrongly, to bring them together because what follows is really significant context. If there has been one consistent form of resistance that I've encountered when talking about how we play, why we play, the methodology of play, techniques to doing specific things in a moment of play, and so on and so forth. The resistance has been, why do we need to talk about it? Why can't we just play? Well, what follows gives context from other people as to why this sort of thing has value. So this is the call-in section. We're going to hear calls from Che Webster, and from Jason Connerly. Che Webster, of course, is the host of Roleplay Rescue, and Jason Connerly, of course, is the host of the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. If by some weird quirk of fate that you've discovered this podcast before discovering those podcasts, definitely check them out. But anyway, let's start with Jason.
2: Hey, Anthony Jason here. So I'm about 22 minutes into on Framing Layers as Cakes, your latest episode at time of recording this call. And you're talking about, or you just finished talking about your experience being deeply immersed and how it doesn't outwardly show so you can understand why people wouldn't, that, that don't, haven't had that experience wouldn't understand. It, actually experiencing things as the character or... You, you know, falling away and I, I mean, at some degree, you know you're not the character Right? But, still That that total immersion What Che Webster and Daniel Jones Are going for with that other world immersion And and I've kind of seen that A couple times Once in Che Webster's game, actually where, where he was trying to run his Other world immersion game And we were there, and he had everything behind the GM screen And we were doing a Combat in a barrel mound And very much. I had that fear in the pit of my stomach, butterflies in my stomach, as, as I was fighting a creature I knew I was vastly outmatched by. So, you, you know, I, I have had that experience. But, but also in an, another game that was... So this is Black Life, which is a hack of... not a hack, but it's ICRPG, but designed to run as Delta Green. Or... Bureau 13, Stock and Knight's fantastic, because that does Delta Green well before Delta Green was ever a twinkle in somebody's eye. And in that Black Hack game, it was very well done. Mark, the author of Black Hack, is the one that was running it. And we had a great group and we had all agreed ahead of time to get rid of all distractions. And so we weren't doing any kind of jokes, any kind of had a game talk. This wasn't online, both these experiences were online games. But and in the blacklight game, you know, I dim the lights and and just let myself be the character and, and not get distracted, not look at other devices, you know, do anything else. And and it, it was very well done. And when we got to a point in that game, the there there's an artifact that possessed one of the characters, and actually it would it would kind of possess anybody that touched it. And two of the characters not one of mine, I was actually an observer in this, but two of the characters actually kind of were being twisted by this object to to fight amongst each other. And it it didn't actually come to physical blows, but but watching that and watching that, almost like if you think of the Avengers and the argument over the staff and and there when they're on the helicarrier and and they're all twisted and and turned to fight each other, it was something kind of sort of like that. And because the players gave their all, and, and just to totally accepted the situation and went into it. it. It was just so well done that, it you, you know, you felt like you were there, right? You, you, you worried for the, the, the sake of those characters and what was going to happen because of the, this argument and, and these hurtful things that were happening between these two characters. It, it was very well done. Now, you can argue, does the system have anything to do with that? In this case, probably not. It was the way the GM ran the game and the way the players approached the game to fully accept it. And that's the kind of thing. We kind of talked about that on, on an old Cerebravore episode where we talked about running serious horror games. But I do think it's possible, but I think it, it definitely takes that full buy-in by the whole group so nobody breaks the mood. And there are other things you can do. But, yeah, so, so I think this actually kind of does relate to that serious horror episode of 3 4 a little bit. And, and some of those tips that we talked about in there could, could possibly help people towards this full immersion process, if they're open to it. Now, there's nothing wrong with not doing that. If you want to play RPGs as an adventure game, like, say, Taylor or Clerks Wear Ringmail, that's totally fine. That's not a bad thing. It's not wrong. It's, And, and that's the great thing about RPGs, or there's so many different ways we can interact with them. And play them so anyway just some thoughts uh almost five minutes of thoughts from the first 22 ep- minutes of your episode
0: i 100 percent agree about the relevance of that cerebrovore episode on horror and i hope people will go to the Cerebravor podcast and check that out it was a lot of fun to participate in and i think we only began to touch on some related topics such as immersion. So, maybe that would be a good idea for another Cerebivore episode, focusing on experiences of immersion, particularly different ones, because most people tend to focus on immersion in character in some way as the entirety of the topic. But clearly, I think, across the breadth of the hobby, we can show that there's a lot of times, situations, and things in which that immersive property or that engagement property or that flow state will manifest that doesn't get enough talking about. Who knows, maybe we could do some interviews around here and talk about our personal experiences with things we consider to have been immersive. But, Jason's not finished. He has another call.
2: Anthony, now I've finished your latest episode, and I should have waited, I guess, It's probably rude to get excited and call in halfway through an episode or a third of the way through an episode. Although sometimes, if we're in the car, we can't take notes and we may not remember what we were going to say after listening to an hour-long episode. Not complaining about the length, by the way, I enjoyed the longer episodes. But I did want to say that I should clarify the Blacklight game I was discussing where we felt that immersion and, and, you know, this connection to those characters was just played as a traditional game rolling dice and all that kind of thing so that that was not everything pulled behind the screen so i've experienced that kind of thing both using the other world immersion techniques of uh, daniel jones and che webster pulling everything behind the screen and in traditional games so i don't think one is necessarily required to get to that state but i think i've spoken enough, and I'm coming up on some bad traffic, so I will talk to you later. Take care.
0: I have to admit, I enjoy the excitement, the contagious excitement of someone stopping the recording, leaving a message, and then going back to the podcast, and then leaving another message. I really like that interaction, and I like how it shows how people think, sometimes in parallel, and sometimes in completely different directions, because I think, That's as close as we can often get to some really dynamic conversations with us being spread out across the globe like this. So keep calling in when you feel motivated. Totally works for me. And yes, to your point about immersiveness, it's not just in a state of isolation where we're trying to to minimize distraction. We can experience that direct connection, that direct engagement, that immersive property, in a lot of weird situations. So, yeah. We definitely need to talk about this. But, to close out this episode, we'll take our message from Che Webster and finish out the show. If there's a reason why we do what we do around here, it's Because of experiences or revelations or realizations or decisions like what you're about to hear.
3: Hey, Anthony, it's Che. I just uh, partway through, just the first part through your episode, uh, kind of responding to the frames and layers conversation that we've been having. And um, you mentioned talk of your video where you had had a particularly visceral. Um, otherworld immersed kind of moment in play, and you kind of annotated that. So, I'd, I'd love, I'm probably going to check that out. But there's something you said which really struck me, and that was this um, simple idea that actually I'd, I'd never occurred to me that there may be people out there who have not actually ever experienced what we're talking about. That there are people out there who have never really experienced in character, as character, character immersion, otherworld immersion in the way that, you know, I hunger for and really enjoy and, and you seem to also truly kind of experience and enjoy. And you know what? It it had never occurred to me that there are people out there who have not yet experienced that or perhaps even, because it's a skill, I think, actually, there's a skill to this. Um, that is a, maybe a skill I haven't acquired or, or been taught to do. And I'll be honest, there's a part of me that immediately felt compas- compassion. It felt kind of like, whoa that i i really I, I would want to give that gift to anybody <laughs> and there was another part of me that then was entirely humbled by that and recognizing how incredibly lucky i am to be able to experience the games the way i do so thank you for that
0: You've been listening to the Casting Shadows podcast. At the beginning of the episode, we listed off other sources of media where you could find content that we make about role-playing games, such as YouTube or a written blog. However, if you'd like to interact with us about these role-playing game topics or other role-playing game topics, you can do that easily, too. You can leave a voice message via Spotify, or what I would recommend is leaving a voice message through Speakpipe. That's speakpipe.com slash podcast. I'll leave links to all of these in the show notes. Alternately, if you're a Discord user, you can find me there, at runeslinger. Or, if, maybe not or, maybe and, if you enjoy games powered by the Ubiquity role-playing system, such as Hollow Earth Expedition or... Leagues of Adventure, Space 1889, Desolation, All-For-One, Régime Diabolique, or Quantum Black, well, you can find us at the new Ubiquity Role-Playing Game Discord. I'll leave a link to that as well. But anyway, until the next time, take care.